Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Thank you for joining us and the people who are watching virtually. Hello. Welcome. My name is Lena Jennings, and I get the privilege and the honor of working with Cinnamon Girl as part of their Travel Girl organization. And just a little bit about Cinnamon Girl. Cinnamon Girl is a leadership development organization for girls of color that was started in 2001. And at Cinnamon Girl, we believe that every single girl is destined for greatness. And oftentimes it takes a little bit of cultivation to help bring out that greatness inside of a girl. And we do that through four separate cohorts. We have a reading cohort for young girls of color starting at the age of eight to help them read books by female authors of color with female uh, main characters who are centering these stories to have multifaceted views of what girlhood is in this day and age. We have a writing cohort where the girls go through a seven-month cohort and a really intensive masterclass training on how to write. How do you tone your voice and use your voice to craft stories? And at the end of it, the girls become published authors and we feature their uh, stories at the Bay Area Book Festival every year. And it is just this amazing thing. Then we have Entrepreneur Girl, where we help girls start businesses. How do we have female leaders of color who are starting their businesses and thriving? And at the end of it, they there's a pitch competition and we provide seed money for their companies. And then finally, if I'm not biased, my favorite of all cohorts is the travel cohort. And this travel cohort exposes girls to distance and difference. And for me, um, what kind of brings about this and why it is so important to me, when I studied abroad in Madrid, Spain, my host mom had this quote on her wall. And that is, this is why we do all of our traveling. And this quote, it says, we travel because we need to, because distance and difference is the secret tonic to creativity. When we get home, home is still the same, but something in our minds has changed, and that changes everything. And that is the epitome of why we travel, why we spend so much time and effort bringing our girls across the world, seeing different facets of how to live, how to work, how to love, how to experience life, because it's so important to get outside of your bubble and outside of your experience. And so that's why I'm really excited to bring up Leah Williamson, a junior at uh, Berkeley High, and Chariot Waddell, a senior from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, to talk through how their experiences shifted and changed as a result of traveling with the Commonwealth Club to the Deep South, to states like Mississippi and Alabama and Memphis, and following the tracks and the paths of civil rights leaders that are enabling the three of us, three young Black girls, to stand up here today to talk to you all about their stories of resilience and courage and overcome and help hopefully carry on the legacy that fearless leaders before us have sacrificed. And so, Terriet and Leah, come on up. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Okay. Say hi to the people online. Hello, everyone. <laughs> hi, Grandma. 
Hi, Grandma. <laughs> okay, so we're really excited. Tonight, we get to talk about the experience that you both went on in October. And we have some fellow travelers in the audience as well who took the trek with Leah and Chariot here. So hello to you as well. Um, but for other people in the room and online who did not get the privilege and honor to go on this trip with the Commonwealth Club, um, I want you to share a little bit about what that experience entailed. And we have a slideshow to help kind of guide along some of the experiences. But I want to just say this, share this quote, um, because I think it really captures the importance of this journey. This was, uh, we went to the COFO meeting hall, one of the first first two days of the trip. And Bob Moses, who was the program director of COFO at the time, he had this quote on the wall. It says, when you're in Mississippi, the rest of America doesn't seem real. And when you're in the rest of America, Mississippi doesn't seem real. I am a California girl <laughs> through and through, through and through, up and down, left and right. It did not seem real. It did not seem real. It just it was such a drastically different experience. So share a little bit um, about the trip, what you guys saw, what you experienced, and um, yeah, walk us through all that it entailed. Yeah. Okay. So the trip was a week long and it was focused mostly on deep analysis of the civil rights movements. And we got to travel to places like Jackson, um, Mississippi, Montgomery, and all just all these different places and get to um, ex really experience like what it was like to be living during that time during like where the civil rights movement. We also, cool. <laughs> we also got to talk um, to a lot of the vital voices. We got to talk to Elizabeth Eckford, one of Little Rock Nine, Hezekiah Watkins, the youngest freedom writer who actually ended up giving us a ride to our destination. <laughs> Um, and, uh, Carolyn McKinstry, um, a 16th street bomb survivor. So very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So these photos, what is this? Give us a kind of, yeah. What is this? What surrounded this experience? Okay. So this was like a cotton field and this is like basically what we were mainly seeing, like, you know, traveling, uh, through the South. Cause you drove and, through the South yeah. from city to city. On a and we actually like ended up stopping on the side of the road. And this is like <laughs> kind of like the field that, um, we went inside and it was really an interesting experience to know that like, uh, this was, you know, how the, like where some of our ancestors like were. Right. And like, just like being here, I don't know. It was really, um, it's different, like, hearing about it, but then, like, actually like, being in the field, it's just a different experience. Uh -huh. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> For sure. So this was the Stax Museum in Memphis, um, one of my favorite places we ended up going to. And really, we really got to see Black culture and the Black music culture, especially, and seeing how that has really um, helped us to where we are now. Um, yeah. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So it's next one. Okay, so this next one, um, this is uh, Sylvester Hoover, and basically he was um, just a resident of Baptist Town, and he, like, really just showed us, like, so many different things, like, uh, in Baptist Town, he now owns, like, a lot of, like, the property in Baptist Town, but Baptist Town was known for being um a place where, like where like all the sharecroppers lived, and actually the movie The Help was filmed in hmm. this town. Hmm. His wife also helped cook all the meals in the actual um, 
movie and we got to eat her delicious meals and they were so good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, don't even get me started. (laughs) Okay, so this right here is um like the nine foot uh bag that they would have to fill with cotton two times a day. Um and I don't know. It was just like crazy to see. I really did not know. Like going into the shrimp, I did not know it was that big. And yeah. they would have to carry this like with them throughout the fields in the, like Leah was saying, like in the hot Mississippi sun. So it was just really crazy to, you know, see how um, Mr. Sylvester had to fill this bag two times a day um, when he was um, sharecropping in Baptist Town. Yeah. This is one of the stops that Sylvester Hoover ended up taking us to. Um, he took us on many stops. It was really great. He was an amazing tour guide. Yeah. And then this, oh, oh sorry. sorry. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> also where Stokely Carmichael gave his like, um, famous speech, like black power speech where he kind of coined that term. Hmm. Um, so one of the places we actually ended up going to is the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. And this is a recent statue that they had put up of Emmett Till. This was a very emotional day for all of us. Yeah. And then this right here is Brian's grocery store. Um, this is where the story of Emmett Teal starts, where basically um, he allegedly had whistled at a white woman and was um, afterwards like really uh, he was beaten and just like disfigured because of, you know, this action. And um, uh, this is like the store where the Bryants had like accused him. And basically um, Mr. Bryant never got uh, acquitted for like what he did. So. Mm-hmm. they're also putting this place up for sale actually and they're asking millions and millions of dollars for it which i found quite interesting yeah um this right here was where um the selma march began and it was like the church where we um where it began and we got to just like see like the outside of the church and they had a lot of like different memorials like surrounding it and stuff like that um and uh it was just like a small stop on the tour but i think it was really powerful to see like this is like just like i can imagine all the people standing here ready to march across the edmund pettis bridge Mm -hmm. i think it was also really beautiful because throughout the trip we went on we went to many churches and we really learned that a lot of the power and the hope that they got was through the church and that's where all the organizations um started and it was just it was so interesting to see So this was actually, um, we ended up getting a kind of conversation before going to the Central High School. Um, This was also a very emotional day for all of us. Um, This right here is um, Elizabeth Eckford. And um, behind her is um, a lady who, like, basically they ended up becoming, like, you know, friends and stuff like that. But in this picture, you see her, like, just, like, the hate that she had for her. Elizabeth Eckford was, like, I believe 15 at the time and Elizabeth Eckford actually like made had made that dress and by the time like she was this was her first day at Little Rock High School um and by the time that the day was like it it had only been a couple hours and her dress was just soaked with spit of like the people just spitting on her dress and stuff like that it was really it was incredible so this right here yes yes this right here um you see the reporter in the back but he was actually protecting her they were trying to like hurt her as she was sitting there mm-hmm. so the reporter tried to like protect her and comfort her but as you can see elizabeth elizabeth eckford like was alone um because she didn't get the memo that they were actually meeting at daisy bates house instead of at the school so she ended up coming alone mm-hmm. and um thankfully like she had an ally to protect her but 
you know, she was actually crying and she even told us how she was thankful that the glasses were hiding her tears. Hmm. This is Central High in person. Very beautiful school, actually. This is us with Elizabeth Eckford. Um, still alive. Yeah, she's still alive. Still alive. Tell this story today. It just get, mm-hmm. puts it into perspective. It's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. She also talked about how it was actually very hard for her to originally tell her story. And I'm just really thankful that we got to experience that. And she yeah. was so open and vulnerable with us because it was a very, it was a very vulnerable conversation. So, yeah. So this right here is Lorraine Motel. And this was um, where Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered and um, in his hotel room. But um, I think it was really beautiful how they had transformed like that just stark place to where like one of our greatest civil rights leaders was shot into like a museum to really just like educate like everyone on like just um, a lot of things of the civil rights movement and just um, you know they preserved his room so you could really see like what happened and like kind of like I mean it was an ordinary day and just like he was um, assassinated but you could see like you know he had a coffee cup on his stand and it was just uh, you could really see like um, the like what was going on during this day. Now, this is the Slave Haven Museum. This was also a very, a very heavy stop. And this was the house of an abolitionist who... Um... Uh, Jacob Burkle. Was yeah, abolition- yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically had, like, protect... This was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Yes. And he, like, protected um, the slaves inside uh, this house. And there's, like, an underground, like, un- like, there's an underground, like, space under the house where he would, like... The slaves would crawl under um, the this like it was really small too like this small part of the house pitch black yes oh my gosh to protect themselves from you know the slave masters so this right here is um, a painting that was in the slave haven and I actually was able to like purchase it but um, it's just kind of showing like you know. Uh, when they were uh, on the ship coming from, you know, Africa to America, uh, a lot of them did not make it. And a lot of them were, you know, thrown into their bodies, were thrown into the water, right? And it shows them kind of like being liberated in their souls, being able to come out of the water and just, um, they found kind of like freedom and death in a way. I want to just pause there and add something because Jayla, who also attended the trip, um, said that from the Slave Haven route, uh, Museum that they were talking about the route that the ships took from Africa to the Americas, that there are sharks still swimming along that same route to this day because they're so used to it's in their DNA to know that to find bodies along that route, yeah. dead bodies of slaves being thrown overboard to this day. So... This was one of our many endeavors when we had um, time to kind of wind down. And so we were in Memphis and we really wanted to um, feel Memphis for what it for what it's known for. And that's its blues and its jazz. And so this was our like night of enjoyment. (laughs) Yeah. Night of enjoyment continued. Um, yes, night of enjoyment continued. <laughs> yeah, there was so much live music and so many amazing musicians. We just danced the whole night, basically. And this was um on Beale Street, which is like a really popular street in Memphis, known for its music. But honestly, like I think that at least for me, like it was a nice break from like mm-hmm. just like the um, 
you know, the sadness from the day of like, you know, learning about all this like really dark like history, but it's just kind of like, it was like a light moment that we had like fun mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And we were still very much celebrating black culture and black history. And that also felt really amazing as well. So this right here is the Edmund Pettus Bridge. This is where the Selma March, um, they walked across this bridge right here. And um, I don't know, like it was interesting. Like uh, I thought that like the river there's a river like under the bridge and it's like it was so beautiful like to see all the trees and stuff like that but just knowing that like they had marched across the bridge it was really powerful because mm-hmm. like like while we like kind of like look like kind of like big in this picture the bridge like we're so small compared to like how big the bridge like kind of was mm-hmm. so it was um interesting to put that into perspective yeah no for sure also the event bloody sunday happened here and what's I- bloody sunday Bloody Sunday is basically whenever they were on the march and they were stopped by um, a lot of the government. And it just basically turned into this like mass, mass, mass murder, basically. And so I think also standing on here held so much weight because we knew so many lives were lost here. And even the lives that got to leave that day left with so much trauma Mm -hmm. and things that they can never, you know, really recover from. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, this right here, uh, this was at uh, the museum in uh, Jackson, Alabama. Alabama, I believe. Yes. <laughs> and it was um, basically, I like, you had the museum and then you had this like memorial for all the people who were um, lynched in every single county across the South. And their names were like put um, in these little like plaques, as you kind of could see in the background. But this was one of the... Um, kind of like sculptures kind of like they had at the beginning before walking inside and i don't know it was really like there were so many names of just like the lynchings that happened and it was powerful to um that like at least like they remembered them but still like it was so uh like just the dark history behind that all the names of the lynchings this was also um in the same place and behind them is um a few of the massacres that were recorded there were a lot of massacres that also weren't recorded and they made sure to um, talk about that as well, which is absolutely amazing. Okay. Thank you for that overview. That was like a good overview of the experience. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So as you all got a small sliver and a taste of it, it was a little heavy of an experience. And that was just a fourth of the pie. There are still so many pieces and elements of that experience that they did not get to cover. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear from you both. Like, what was the most emotional or impactful part of the trip? And what did it bring to you to see some of these civil rights sites come to life? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first, Leah? I can go first. I would say um, our first few days in Mississippi. Um, I'm originally from Tennessee, um, and so I'm very used to, like, being around Southern culture, and I think it just hit so close to home, and, like, stories that I had heard from my grandparents or people that I knew, I was seeing it in person, I was seeing all these fields, and it just felt so, like, it was, was, yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) I'm still, I'm honestly still digesting it, if I'm being honest, but, Yeah. Uh, I think for me, like the most impactful part was going to Sumner Courthouse, um, which were where 
was Emmett Teal's trial. And I think like it just really resonated with me because Emmett Teal, like, like I have cousins that are his age. I have like a little brother and it's just like knowing that, um, uh, the story of Emmett Teal, like he was like literally 14 years old. And, um, like I saw the picture of like what his body, he was unrecognizable, um, after like what they did to him right just because of he allegedly whistled at like a white woman and Mm -hmm. it was just um sitting in that courthouse like we were in the jury seats um of the courthouse and like i don't know walking in like i don't know what it was but like you can i I could just still feel like Mm -hmm. like something Mm -hmm. there was still something like in like embedded inside that courthouse like of like um the injustice they did to him and like how they didn't give him justice and they didn't acquit his murderers and they didn't mammy teal like they just like they had like literally a two-hour break during the trial and like they just like went to go get sodas like they mm-hmm. really did not care about his life and i don't know it just really resonated with me like what um happened to emmett teal so yeah. that was a really powerful part of the trip for me and also the apology oh, that they gave out yeah, we dissected the apology like during the trip and it really wasn't even an apology, it was a statement and they didn't really apologize. There was no accountability for what they did to him. From uh Caroline Caroline Bryant's husband or who gave the apology? Uh, it, I think it was the city. Yeah, it was the city. It was really yeah. unclear like who really wrote it hmm. and like there was no accountability to like they were just kind of like, Yeah, like we this happened, but you know, what what was the actions that they were going to take to like resolve that like there was really no action behind their apology mm-hmm. so knowing how heavy this experience was and you said you felt the spirit of the courtroom yeah. and justice walking into those sites and you did that every day for eight to ten days uh back to back and so Knowing that, the heaviness of it, you have to have some space to just digest and understand and process. And so what I know about the trip is that there was someone to help you process and to dissect and discuss what happened in the context of the group with the other travelers. What were some of those conversations like and what did those bring you? Um, I think like, so Robert Green, um, he was like kind of like, got kind of helped us guide us through this experience um after each day we would have like a conversation um with him and um the rest of the travelers on the group and just kind of like dissect like what really went through um what happened like what um went into like what we saw that day mm-hmm. and um i think that like i don't know the conversations were really insightful like it was just like because i think that like, it unified us in the end mm-hmm. and um there was like you know a generation gap but also like a, mm-hmm. um you know a, like, a, racial? a racial a racial gap but at the same time we were still able to come together and really just like discuss like each day and like go through like what had happened and like each day we, we would discuss it in a, in a different way too like we met one day we may have analyzed like a certain quote or another day we may have like listened to a song in the beginning and kind of like got into a um mindset of like you know like trying to like dissect like what really happened that day so there was different ways we did analyze it not just conversation but it was really helpful like having robert green as our moderator and just like going through that um conversation yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. There was a lot of space that was made for us, especially me and Chariot, because we were the youngest. Yeah. We're also African-American. So this is our history. So, of course, we were feeling this. And I just felt that that was really beautiful that they gave us that space. And I think also, as Chariot was saying, something that really brought us together was the fact that we were all learning. Yeah. Mm. And it didn't matter the age which you were or how much experience you had in life. We were all learning something new. And also we were learning hard things too. So obviously that's going to bring you closer together. And those conversations really helped with that. And um, yeah, that's what I can say. So I didn't give you guys this question ahead of time, nor did I prep you on this. Absolutely. But if you're on the topic of learning, um, mm-hmm. I would love to know what did you both learn? But more importantly, what did you all learn about Blackness? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I learned that, um, I think I went into the trip with a lot of like anger and like, Mm. kind of like, just like sadness, um, about like, cause like I, I I had, um, when I was younger, I had like kind of like gone on on a trip similar, my mom and dad, like they took me to see some of these sites and you know, when you're younger, you don't really like understand the magnitude of like what you're seeing but um as like 17 years old i'm going on this trip again and it's just like i kind of have a new understanding of like what happens like Mm -hmm. and i think that while um i think a really powerful person that i listened to was carolyn mckenstry Mm -hmm. and the main message like when she was talking to us the main message she really um portrayed was about like love and how you know in the six in the 16th baptist um like street church like you know her friends all her friends had died right and even after that experience she was able to come out of that experience with a sense of you know we need to like you know unify and like bring each other together like with love right and Mm. um she didn't let that harden her heart but she really opened her heart and it helped her open her heart and she had to sit with the guy who bombed the church and like, mm. and I was like, she like had to sit there. And it's like, it's like crazy to me how she was still able to sit there and like, you know, have a conversation with him, even like after he had did that to her friends. And I don't know, that was, that was really powerful for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, love is hard. It's so yeah. sweet. <laughs> Four letter word, but love is really hard. Yeah. And to be able to love someone um, who seemingly just hates you and hates everything about your essence, but to rise above all of that and choose and learn to love. Yes. What about you? No, for sure. Well, I learned a lot, but I think one of the biggest things that I learned is how disappointed I am with the education system. Like we were sitting there and everybody was learning new things. Um, It was obviously it was beautiful because we were getting all this information, but it was just like, wow. Especially as an African-American, I was like, I did not know this much about my history. And it is so unfortunate because it's American history, <laughs> yet we don't know that. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> even like when I got back from the trip, we then had our civil rights um, uh, conversations in school. And I had already <laughs> known everything that they were going to say. And I was like, there is just so much that needs to be talked about yeah that's not um and i think also something that i learned very much is gratitude and gratitude for being where i am now 
And I think this trip really helped me understand not exactly everything that was put into where I got, because I don't think I will ever fully understand that, which is a good thing I feel in my in my head, but kind of like some of the things that my ancestors had to go through to get me to where I am. So now I'm in class and I'm happy to be in class because they didn't get that opportunity. <laughs> you know, like I stand in those rooms and I stand in them tall because they also didn't get that opportunity. And I think that's just something that really helped that really like put in perspective like my Angelou has this um quote come in as one stand as 10,000 and I think that was put into place with me once I got back I'm not alone I'm my ancestor here and they're you know happy and rooting for me and I'm doing things like this and you know yeah <laughs> yeah it's like we're living our ancestors wildest dream yes who would have thought yes that we'd sure. be here today who would have mm -hmm. thought that we have these opportunities that who would have thought mm -hmm. that in spite of all of it, mm -hmm. all of the trauma and the hurt and the pain, like mm -hmm. yet still I rise. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So when you think about kind of the, the main players in the civil rights movement, obviously everyone knows the Rosa Parks and mm -hmm. the MLKs mm -hmm. and the Malcolm X's of the world. Mm -hmm. There were so many unsung heroes mm -hmm. that we don't know the names of. Mm -hmm. Is there a leader or an individual that you learned about on this trip whose story kind of inspires you and kind of sparked something on the inside of you? Oh my gosh, Fanny Lou Hamer. Oh my gosh. Fanny Lou <laughs> I had heard her name before, but it wasn't until the trip in which I learned all the amazing, scary things that she did, but she was just so fearless and it was so beautiful. She like went on public television and openly gave everyone her address because she knew that they were going to come find her. Mm. And I just felt like, wow, <laughs> wow, this woman is wow. <laughs> so I think, yeah, she's just, yeah, there's so many people though. Yes, definitely. Um, Fannie Lou Hamer, but also like <laughs> Daisy Bates. Yeah. Um, I learned so much about her and like her strength, like she literally owned like her own newspaper with her husband mm -hmm. and like they like had the courage to like, you know, uh, write controversial stuff that like that that could honestly get them like killed but like mm -hmm. they wrote it um because they wanted to control like their own narrative they wanted to like uh, educate and and like uplift our community and they um sacrificed like themselves and like their you know safety in order to do that through their newspaper so i thought that was really powerful yeah especially just learning about the history of black women in general in the civil rights movement because it's not talked about enough they played such a humongous role in getting us to where we are now. Yeah. Especially as a Black woman, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So thinking about that in the context of being a Black woman and learning about all of these stories of amazing Black women who had the courage to speak up and speak out and do something differently. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to you both to kind of carry on their legacy? What does that look like for you? I think like for me, that kind of looks like, um, you know, executing excellence in all that I do. Right. I think mm -hmm. that like, you know, black women are like literally magic, right. We're like so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be like, um, no, no it's I, that's, that's what I say that like, just like, 
you see all these women and like they're at the forefront of like the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and like we only talk about like i mean rosa parks rosa, we talk about rosa parks but also like, we're um the main people talk mlk and malcolm x and like that's kind of like the main people we talk about when talking about the civil rights but there are so many like it, if it wasn't for the black women that were um in those spaces and just like encouraging and uh leading then we would not i feel like we wouldn't really be here where we are today so just like that lesson of like just being excellent in all that i do um just like honor them and honor like what they did so Mm -hmm. yeah kind of like how i was saying earlier um just to stand tall in the spaces that i am in now especially being in like predominantly white spaces to take up all of that space you know and to make sure that my voice is heard and to really use the platform that the people before me built um, and to use those resources and to use them well. Yeah. Yeah. I think to your point around failing of the education system Mm -hmm. and teaching American history, which Mm -hmm. totally entails black history, black history is American history Mm -hmm. in and of itself. um, Thinking about all of the things that we aren't taught um, and how much of our history gets erased and how much of our history is not shared to empower us to hear those stories of like, Black women did all of this? Like, (laughs) of course I can. (laughs) Like, it really impacts your perception of self if all you hear about in your history is you're a slave. Like, that's slaves. Like, (laughs) can I get a little bit more? Can I learn more about Fannie Lou Hamers and like learn more about other leaders who stepped up for courage. And so mm-hmm. thinking about kind of this whole journey when it comes to journeying across the South mm-hmm. um, in this kind of increasingly divisive or undivided world yeah. we live in, what parallels did you see between what you experienced and journeyed through in this civil rights journey to today? What kind of similarities do you see and experience? Um, I think like, so there's so many parallels, right? Like, (laughs) like literally the stuff that was happening from 60 years ago, like we see it's so like permeated through our society today. Right. Um, and I think that the goal of like, you know, that time was to make, um, African-Americans feel inferior Mm. to, you know, white people. Like that was like they, the violence that we experienced, um, in the past, like it's, the goal is like was to establish, establish like um a superiority to black people and i think that um we see that today with like just even like basic things like the stereotypes like mm-hmm. we are told as you know black people like we're told that you know we're lazy or we're told that um we're aggressive or angry but it's like we see the parallel with it, during this the civil rights movement and, and going on this like journey um I think that there was so much birth from like, just like we were so peaceful in how we approached mm. the civil rights movement with all that we had gone through and all that we in- had endured. Just like um, we, w- just the peace that we had and that we like, we would march, um, do like just the marches and we would have like the pastors and the um, just like these different leaders come and just like, you know, encourage us and like they would speak. And I think that they try to tell us those, these stereotypes today, how like we're aggressive or how we're um, angry or how we're lazy, but it's like, we've 
done so much like for this country we have done so much like to get where we are today and it's like i don't think that you know we can even be like seen as inferior for all like our history and all our culture that we have you know built just from like the past so yeah i think that that was like a really big parallel that i saw i'm like wow like they try to tell us these stereotypes when they're not even close to true based on my history like yeah so Mm-hmm. And so feeling empowered to learn the history. Yeah. Like, that's not the case. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure about the learning for the history. Um, and especially like the erasure of the culture that you were talking about and kind of how they don't want us to know about our history. And I think what comes to mind specifically is gentrification mm-hmm. and how easily so many cultures and communities can be just washed, washed away. Um and that's what really like that's what I was thinking about on the trip a lot. And still now, like, um, I know a lot of places in San Francisco, Fillmore, um, Jack London Square in Oakland. I could name so many streets and so many cultures that are slowly, slowly being moved to Antioch or places like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. So what does progress look like? acknowledgement Hmm. i think that's the first start of it is to like acknowledge that there's progress that needs to be done um and so i think also that is something that i found really important to do now because like back in the day they did not get to do that even just speaking out about one thing could easily get you killed and so i think using your voice is such an important platform for you to be able to use now um yeah i think um I don't know. I think progress looks like, I think like so, so often we talk about like, you know, civil rights, right? I think that um, a big thing that I learned on this trip that Martin Luther King stood for like really like economic um, equity. Mm. And I think that um, at least like but going on this trip, I think that progress would really stand for like, um, you know, equi- economic like equity equity and like kind of like um bridging the wealth gap that has been created from like what we um endured so i think that um that would be what progress looks like is seeing like um more black people in positions of like um power and like just having generational wealth Mm -hmm. um which was stolen from us from like what we endured 400 years ago and even like 60 years ago like Mm -hmm. just seeing um it would look like uh, progressing economically i think yeah mm-hmm. that's also important yes that's, it's so important yeah like yeah we we want to have some equity and equality when it comes to the economic advantage and even small things such as like home ownership yeah extreme disparities in black home ownership rates versus white home ownership rates versus asian home ownership rates like Black people have the lowest home ownership rates across okay. the country. And so there's so many things where we are, um, I don't want to say lagging behind, but there's so many areas where we have so much room to grow and evolve and progress. in. and so, yeah, I think mm-hmm. progress definitely starts with acknowledgement for mm-hmm. sure of like, there is a gap acknowledging there are some differences, acknowledging that this is a problem. We should mm-hmm. put some effort and attention and finances behind it, but also it is having some economic equality to sometimes eradicate some of these disparities. And so thinking through um, some of these civil rights leaders that we call today, but they were just teenagers, 
back when they stood up and had some courage to step up and speak out. Mm -hmm. They weren't adults who had been, who studied this, or they did not get a master's degree in organizational change. They did not have any formal education or training on studying and researching this. Obviously they had some, the systems and structures and teaching to train them in these situations, Mm -hmm. but for them to just step up as 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, not far off from how old you guys are. What for you now, what does activism look like today in 2024? And what role do you think young people play in kind of that progress? I honestly think that we are the future, like young people are the future, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, back in the day, like, I think that everyone understood, like, how important, how integral, like, young people were to the movement. Like, Martin Luther King was only 26 years old when he was, became, like, the president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, right? And they put him on the forefront originally to be kind of, like, a scapegoat because they, <laughs> whatever happened um, that went wrong, it would like, you know, fall on him. But he ended up like really like leading the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Um, and even like uh, with COFO, right? Like you see leaders like um, Bob, Bob Moses, Bob Moses mm-hmm. and um, you see how like because of like what they did, like they, um, like the, the movement is where it is today. Right. So I think like as young people now, um, I think like social media really is like a big part of our lives. Right. And like everyone on social media has like, you know, platforms that we can use for like good, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's like, we use it either like for good or evil. And I feel like as like young people we should use it for good to like like leah was saying bring acknowledgement and awareness to like what is going on or like even just like um it could be like a simple post that could really just like you know bring like a conversation and start a conversation so mm-hmm. i think that that's like a big part of like what activism looks like in 2024 is using social media and platforms to really advocate for like what you believe yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, I feel like something that we saw back then and still now is that passion from youth to really see change because like even if we think about now and how like voting isn't very like there's not a lot of voting um, rights for specifically young people like that is 100 percent our future. And so whatever everyone is voting on is going to directly impact us at some point. Um, But I think I really... I I really think that passion is something that the youth really brought. And still now, like we have that ability that if we're passionate about something and we want to see change, we make it happen, you know, and I really love our generation for that. Um, And not really being afraid to say what needs to be said, even if it hurts a few feelings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to kind of speak out and speak out against injustice and Mm -hmm. speak up for Mm -hmm. what you think is right. And I think there in this world now, there is so much to speak up and speak out against. And I think it is really important to continue to use your voice and and not be silenced Mm -hmm. um, and share your experiences and your stories with others. 
So thank you for that. Uh, we're going to get ready to take some audience questions. And so uh, for those who are viewing online, feel free to write your question in the chat. And then those in the audience, um, you can write your question down on the papers that are in your seat, or we will also be passing a microphone around to ask live questions. So get your questions going. Um, I'm gonna ask one more question and then we'll take some audience questions. So um, my question that I have is, if you could speak directly to a civil rights icon from the past after this journey, what would you want to tell them or ask them? Question. <laughs> I think that like something really powerful that Elizabeth Elizabeth Eckford, um, she was part of Little Rock Nine. Um, when we were sitting and talking with her, she was talking about how like she, uh, you know, she really didn't ask to be like kind of like the the um, leader that she like was made to be. Like she was talking about how she was a normal person. Like even after that happened, she was saying how she had become like a bank clerk or like a parole officer and stuff like that. And I just thought it was interesting how like, because of the circumstances, like that was kind of like the role she was put into, but she really was never asked for that. And I think I asked her something about like, you know, what would she like change or something like that? And she was talking about how she doesn't know if she would like, you know, do like what she did. Right. Like, going back like she experienced so much violence going to the the um central high and it's like she doesn't know if she would have you know gone to the high school and stuff so i think that like i would honestly ask like a lot of leaders like um like kind of like what would they have like seeing like um after seeing the after effects of like you know what they did like would they or like even like Medgar Evers, like what he did with um just like you know uh being a really integral part of the NAACP it's like in response to that he put his family in jeopardy right and he ended up dying like at his house so it's okay. like would you do what you did knowing like what was going to happen after mm -hmm. you did it so I think I would ask like a lot of them that question it's really essentially kind of asking, was it worth? Yeah, like, was it worth? Exactly. Ooh, that's exactly. a heavy question. <laughs> heavy question. It's a good one. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think really what comes to mind is where we are now and how I feel like we've taken some great steps ahead, but also like if we're thinking about like affirmative action and how that's not there anymore. Even if we go to Roe v. Wade, I would want to ask, like, do you feel like we are going in the right direction right mm. now as a society. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ooh, that's a heavy one. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's a heavy one. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know the answer to that. Are I know, that's the right direction? Yeah, like, <laughs> what is the right direction? Yeah. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So I have my first audience question. Thank you to this audience member. Um, so... I've, there's three on here. So the first one um, is, what else did Fannie Lou Hamer do? Could you share just a little bit more about her and her story? I don't know if people have context into the great work that she did. I, one of our trip and Tidney said something. Do you want to say it one more time? Getting you a microphone. Yes. She was an organizer. Her life was threatened, yet she led the Mississippi Alternative Delegates at the Democratic Convention that I almost went to. 
but my parents wouldn't let me go because you were too many birthday. What? Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay. Second question here. How do you acknowledge your anger? Oh, <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think like for me, like I acknowledge it by like, by like participating in activities that like put me in a position to lead, I think. I feel like, I don't know if that's like the normal way you respond. But anger, like I feel like it fluctuates, right? Like, you know, um, pretty being in a predominantly, um, a lot of predominantly white space, I live in Arizona. So um, we were like one of the last people to like, uh, <laughs> we were the, uh, one of the last people to make MLK day a day, right? Like they would not <laughs> make it a day. So, um, <laughs> so being in those predominantly white spaces my whole life, I feel like, you know, as like a, the only black girl, it's like, you have to be the greatest in that space. You have to be able to lead. And I think that, I think I acknowledge the anger by like choosing to, you know, go against what people like the stereotypes people have in their head of me or like what they may think. Like, I feel like I acknowledge it by like um, participating in activities that normally black girls aren't seen as participating in or like i um really am interested in engineering and i feel like a lot of yes, black engineer. women are are in that like um aren't in that field so i feel like i like kind of like go against the grain a little bit yeah. in a way to acknowledge it but i think that also just like reading helps me a lot it really grounds me to like read about my history and um like just write, like write um, what like I think like during out throughout the whole trip, this journey, I like was writing, right? I was writing like um, about my experiences or like what I was thinking in that moment. Um, I even like called my mom and I was like, mom, like I have to have, like talk to you about like what's going on, right? Um, just like to like release like those feelings yeah. and mm -hmm. acknowledge like what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And then not see anger as a negative emotion, right? It's an emotion that naturally would come with what like we're hearing and the just horrible things we're hearing, right? So I think that um, just like letting it be, but then using that anger to fuel me in like my endeavors. So I think mm -hmm. that that um, is how I acknowledge it personally. What do you think, Leah? How do you acknowledge Powerful. it? Powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with the writing. Yeah. I was writing a lot. <laughs> and I like after that, I started to get into poetry a little bit more. Yeah. And definitely expressing that through more creative fields. But I think also just like talking about it helped a lot like i just like it, it didn't matter like what the conversation was going i'd be like did you know yeah. <laughs> i was always telling people information and to kind of like share that kind of understanding of like where i am and like why i was feeling the way i was feeling yeah. because if anybody was hearing the things that we were hearing oh on that trip they would be angry too yeah yeah, yeah. so that definitely yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, it's a really great question. So thank you to whoever posed that question, acknowledging your anger. Um, because honestly, every time I learn about anything in regards to the civil rights movement or even slavery, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry, but sometimes it really makes me strong. My mom doesn't like me using the word hate. She It makes me strongly dislike white people sometimes mm -hmm. because it is so disheartening to hear the experiences and the hate and the just disregard for human life that one could have to someone mm -hmm. simply because of their skin color. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't even, I'm, I know I'm not strong enough to live through the civil rights movement and be hosed down and have dogs chasing after me and to have to sit at the back of the bus and be spit on and do what I couldn't do it. I really could not do it. And it does make me angry and it makes me so sad Mm -hmm. simply because of someone's mere existence that you could just be this hated. Mm -hmm. And I think it is really important to not let that anger consume you Mm -hmm. because what is it going to do? Mm -hmm. It's not going to do anything. You're just going to be a sitting duck stagnant and it's Mm -hmm. going to eat you up on the inside. But I really loved Mm-hmm. both of your answers around transforming that into something good and letting that be the fuel to help you to achieve more, to make you just do something outside of your comfort zone, because what a privilege it is oh mm-hmm. that we get to do these things. What a privilege it is that we get to be in these spaces. And going back to that statement of love, mm-hmm. how important it is and how hard it is to just love mm-hmm. and forgiveness mm-hmm. and just pushing past that and knowing that it's not a reflection of you. And that their hate has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's hard. And that's still kind of the weight and the burden that so many Black people have to deal with today. And the hate is birthed out of fear, like fear of like the unknown fear of like, like just like the melanin in our skin. Like, I just think like, I don't know, like, I feel like if people could use like the fear of others in like, you know, better ways than like hating them, like not letting that fear turn to hate, but you know, having questions or like getting to know the person, I feel like that would really transform like our society. Yeah. Yeah. Brene Brown um, has this quote. She says, you can't hate up close. And I think that is so important. Even in the photo from the Little Rock Nine, um, she became friends with the woman who was yelling at her and spitting on her. And thinking about if you can't hate up close, it takes coming close to someone to really learn about them. You're a daughter too. Oh, you're a sister. Oh, you have a cousin and oh, you're a mom or whatever title and role that you wear. You realize we are so much more alike than we are different. Like we are so alike Mm -hmm. and really having that opportunity to sit across the table and have and engage in these dialogues. You really find there is like the shared humanity and there is that human decency and love still there when we have an opportunity to push past the fear and move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So a question for YouTube. Thank you, YouTube questioner for your question. We appreciate it. It says, um, what other enlightening destinations would you like to travel to? I think um, for me, I would love to travel to Nigeria. Um, I'm Nigerian um, and Jamaican. So I would like, I don't know, I really haven't been able to like (laughs) travel there. So I would just really love to like get more connected to my culture and just really like, you know, uh, meet like a lot of my family and stuff like that. A lot lot of like, I have like so many aunts and uncles and cousins Mm -hmm. and just be able to like immerse in the culture for like a good like like couple weeks or something yeah yeah go back home (laughs) yes yeah yeah um for me um this is a little random but i think i would really love to go to cuba and um this is partly because i recently just started to get into buena vista social club so i've been playing that i bought it on vinyl a while ago but also just like to see black influence all over the world is just something that i just I could literally, I've thought about spending my life just traveling the world and seeing that because it really is everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
we are everywhere. We are everywhere. We have influenced everything. Yes. yes. Culture is black culture. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So question from the audience again. Thank you, audience. Um, have your schools given you an opportunity to share the experience of this trip with other students? I do want to caveat that one of your schools gave you class credit for missing. They missed a full week of school. They got class credit for it, mm-hmm. which is good. But yes. did they give you an experience to share? Mm, you can go first. <laughs> um, for me, that was my school. So my teacher, um, shout out to Miss Carr. <laughs> she ended up. Um, I like talked to her about like you know the experience, and she ended up like the assignments that I missed. She's like, hey, if you are able to like you know give a presentation and present like you know what you learned on this trip, like I'll give you that full credit back of like those assignments. So um, it was really great. I got to present to my class and I think like I did get really emotional (laughs) Um, just presenting, uh, you know, what I learned. And it is scary, like presenting in front of your peers, Mm -hmm. especially people your own age. It's like such a different experience than like uh, presenting in front of like, I don't know, you guys, like I feel like like, not her I feel like teenagers are definitely a little bit more judgmental, but I think that like um, being in that AP Lit class and being able to like, you know, give that slideshow and presentation about like what happened. I think that um, it may have like, you know, sparked some conversation. Like some people like asked you some questions afterwards, like, you know, what um, happened from that experience. So yeah, it was really great like to be able to share that with um, people like my age. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My school, I didn't get to do a presentation, unfortunately, but I did talk to my teachers and um, I ended up also like getting my, the things that I missed kind of like exempt if I wrote about it. So I wrote a lot about it. And I also still talked a lot about it afterwards. I was like, you guys are going to hear this, like it or not. And so, yeah. I love that. Okay, another question from the audience. Thank you, audience, for the questions. So appreciate your bright smiles, of course. Uh, Thank you for your vulnerability and Black Girl Joy. Thank you, Cinnamon Girl and the California Commonwealth Club for this life-affirming opportunity for you all. The question is, what do you plan to study at university, and how has this experience shaped your future career goals? Oh, my gosh. Do you want to go first? No, you can go. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out exactly what I want to do, but I think I, for college, I want to major in international business and minor in cultural anthropology. Yes, cultural anthropology. <laughs> or, or um, the other side is to just like end up going up in the levels of education and getting a PhD in cultural anthropology and maybe becoming a professor not quite sure but i think just like after this trip i was like there's just oh there's that cultural piece i've always really loved studying different cultures but learning about my different culture as well i was like yeah this is it this is it <laughs> so yeah i think for me um i'm graduating this year <laughs> um i want to go into either biomedical engineering or marine biology and i was having some really good conversations with mr carl just like about um that field but i don't i don't know like sim is like such like a um interesting field right because i feel like it's like i don't know it's really hard it's, it was getting hard right and i feel like um this trip kind of like encouraged me to keep going because i was like 
oh, like maybe I want to do something different. But it's like I do have such a love for like engineering and like learning about the inner workings of things. So I think that this trip definitely like seeing how these people before me were able just to do anything. I was like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too. So <laughs> it allowed me to like give me a little push to encourage me to keep going. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Oh, yes. Educated woman already. I love to see you. <laughs> I'm. I want to just make space for anyone in the audience. If you want to ask a live question, we have a microphone. If you raise your hand, Christina will pass around the microphone. Um, otherwise, we have one question from YouTube. And then I have a final question, if there are none from the live audience. But uh, the question from YouTube says, has any of your writing been included in I am the dream or I am the change? This must be a cinnamon girl Um related question because I am the dream and I am the change are parts of the books that the writing cohort publishes. Um, and those are the titles of the book. So have you all been published authors in either I am the dream or I am the change? Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) I had the chance to be able to write, um, like, uh, kind of like a historical, like fiction story. And then I had the chance to write like a lot of poetry, um so yeah that that experience being in the um uh, writing cohort was just so amazing Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm going to that experience right now actually with soon to be published but i'm planning on publishing some of my poetry so yeah yes okay so my last and final question for you all Um, Thinking about some of the Negro spirituals and kind of the Black national anthem, or even just the basic song, not, excuse me, not basic by any (laughs) means, but the song, We Shall Overcome, We Shall Overcome Someday. Have those songs taken on a new meaning for you? At least like for me, right? My little brother. So like that song, he would like sing the national like you know black and like anthem song in his like classroom in the morning right Mm -hmm. and i don't know like being in like this experience like i I started like playing the song and i was like i don't know i just want to like hear him sing it and stuff like that and it just kind of gave me a new meaning because i'm like wow like this song is like so just beautiful and like i would just like listen to it more Mm -hmm. um and like he would just like you know sing it in the mornings like as i'm like taking him to school so so, like (laughs) it was so cute just to like I don't know. It just gave me a new meaning to like, mm-hmm. like the song. Cause like, I don't know. It was so like encouraging, uplifting, mm-hmm. just like to hear it. Like, you know, Tasha Cobb sing the song and him sing along. Like, it was just so like cool to like, to see that. So yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think, um, I knew these songs and I sang them, but after this experience, I started to sing them a little louder or maybe not a little louder. Much louder, (laughs) much louder because I understood everything, like the lyrics of those songs. And I remember on the last day, the last night, we all held hands and we sang and I got so emotional. (laughs) And so now I'm like sitting here, I'm like, okay, Leah, don't cry. Like, don't mess up your makeup. It's just like those songs hold so much weight, Yeah, so much weight. And I think I am just, yeah it's yeah speechless yeah yeah Yeah. okay thank you 
thank you both for sharing your stories and just so vulnerably being able to tell your story and help all of us experience the trip through your eyes um, and experience what progress and hope looks like and what we can hope for and expect for tomorrow, the future doctors and um, you said marine biologists? Or engineer, yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Excuse me, this engineer. <laughs> of the world will bring and our future is so bright. Our future is going in the right direction with you two at the forefront and with you two sharing <laughs> your stories and being incredibly brave and bold to participate in experiences like this, but also sit on these forums to share your perspective. So my hope for you both is that you just keep going, keep going in your black girl excellence and the world is your oyster. There's so many possibilities and I'm excited to see all that you do. And on behalf of everyone in the room, I just want to thank you for sharing and for just showing up so beautifully tonight. You did wonderful and we are honored to be in your presence. So thank you. And with that, here's All right. Well, thank you, all of you here and those of you listening online. Uh, my name's Christina Namath, and I am the travel director here at the club. If you want to learn more about supporting the Commonwealth Club, you can visit us at commonwealthclub.org. If you want to travel with us, commonwealthclub.org slash travel. I want to thank again the Gruber Family Foundation for their support and to Cinnamon Girl for your ongoing partnership and to, most importantly, our speakers tonight, Lena Jennings, Leah Williamson, and Chariot Waddell. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.